friends, I got to be honest, we have an incredible episode for you today. Mm -hmm. We got to talk with Adam and Chelsea Griffin. So Adam, he is a pastor of Eastside Community Church in Dallas. He was a pastor at the Village Church. He also hosts a podcast that the Village Church puts on called Culture Matters. And Chelsea is a labor and delivery nurse. Yeah, they're like the power couple. They're a power couple and talking about all areas of like family planning. And we we got into things like abortion today and Mm -hmm. contraception. And it was very interesting. It was helpful to understand. I mean, they they shared part, part of their own personal struggles and really opened up about, you know, how they made decisions about. Uh, birth control and how you know she really painted the picture behind the science behind it all we even talked about in vitro fertilization in terms of you know the gospel so there's some big stuff happening in this conversation Yeah, because I think because of where cultures at on these matters we tend to take kind of our understanding for granted in mm. that we don't question things necessarily especially things like birth control which are largely uncontested in the cultural sphere mm-hmm. right or in vitro fertilization it's largely uncontested right. and if we take a good look at this stuff through a gospel lens i think you'll find that our our perspectives can be more informed and we can make decisions that are more i think beneficial for the flourishing of mankind but also the glorifying to god absolutely so, so yeah. without any further ado please take a listen take some notes i don't know you just got to hear this one it's it's a really good one Um, But we have Adam and Chelsea Griffin. All right, Adam and Chelsea Griffin, thank you guys for joining us on the Fierce Marriage Podcast. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're so glad to be here. Thanks. Thanks for uh, spending the time. Yeah, we, uh, so we actually, I think it was last week, we got to listen to ourselves on the Culture Matters Podcast because you you were gracious and you had us on there. Um, hopefully the response has been all right <laughs> to that episode. Nothing but negative emails all day, every day. People are furious. Like, how dare we champion marriage? <laughs> yeah, no, we had a blast. You guys are um, it's a little, you guys are really good at interviewers, so we felt super comfortable mm-hmm. on the Culture oh, Matters wow, podcast. To say. It was so great to have you guys on. Seriously, it was a blast, and it was a really helpful episode. I'm so grateful for you guys and all the ministry you guys are doing through Fierce Marriage. Adam, you and I met. We met in well, – actually, we met – the two of us, Celine and I, met you at the Village Church, the Dallas campus, uh, mm-hmm. like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And you were super gracious. You actually gave me some time in your office, in your, you know, your corner office at high, you know, in a sky rise, you know, way up above. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't remember where it was. It wasn't like that, though. <laughs> it definitely was not like that. And you and you actually were gracious enough. You know, I I emailed you again. You actually wrote an endorsement for our book. So that was awesome. And just kind of this friendship has has blossomed over the years. And, you know, Twitter and stuff kind of gives you an idea of, you know, you kind of stay in touch with people. But uh, how did you guys meet and obviously gotten into ministry and being, uh, you know, pastor of a, a new church plant? So tell us a little about your lives and how you met and kind of leading up to this point. Well, yeah, I'd be glad to. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I love our marriage. <laughs> I love Chelsea. She's much better at telling the how we met story than I am. So right. let me tell you a little bit about ministry. Right now, I'm the lead pastor of a new church plant called Eastside Community Church. We planted out of the Village Church in Dallas just a few months ago. And uh, Chelsea is a labor and delivery nurse at a hospital just down the street from from our home here in East Dallas. And we both met when we were doing a different career. We met as teachers. Chelsea can tell you much better than I can how that worked out. (laughs) Well, I walked into uh, new teacher training, uh, just kind of looking for a husband. (laughs) And (laughs) so that worked out. Uh, That worked out. uh, (laughs) That worked out just like I planned. Uh, 
No, Adam and I had both uh, switched from one job to another. So I was becoming uh, the head golf coach at a high school and Adam had um, left a job as a youth pastor um, to do something a lot like youth ministry, but in the public schools. Um, That was a grant funded program to walk with kids who are on the verge of failing out. And um, so, yeah, we met at the first day of teacher training and just quickly found out that we both love the Lord and uh, we love kids and um, just had a lot in common. So Adam was a, a good man to ask me on a date. Yeah, we went on our first date, the end of the first week we met and then uh, we're engaged several months later, married just about a year after we first met. But awesome. uh, I haven't looked back and every year gets better. That's right. That's awesome. That's How long incredible. have you all been married? Not long enough. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what we always said. Um, <laughs> almost a decade. Almost a decade. That's a good way to say Awesome. God is just moving. I mean, in our country, I feel like he's moving in a really unique way. This like cultural tide, right, is kind of feels like it's gone out as far as it can go. And right when, the, when there's a really low tide and the, you know, the wave is all the way out into the ocean, it's like it's going to come back. Right. And it feels mm. like we're at that moment where in, in our culture where there's just something happening. And one of the things that I, I've loved about watching that and being a, you know, grace, God's graciously allowed us to be a part of it up here in the Northwest. It's definitely like a, a gospel desert, I'll say, <laughs> up here. And being able to watch what's happening down where you're at in Dallas, particularly with, with Matt Chandler and all that kind of stuff, is this this conversation around abortion, which is a very um, b- very charged topic. Um, and it's, there's a lot of sensitivity around it. But I feel like you, you guys have just done um, a really good job of articulating around the nuances of it in a mm. loving but truthful way. And I would consider you, Adam, a passionate op- opponent of abortion, um, just yeah. having talked to you and seen, you know, some of the social media stuff and all that kind of stuff. So I don't want to take for granted that our listeners really have a robust, what I would call an abortion apologetic. So Chelsea, being that you're a labor and delivery nurse, I'm sure you have an opinion on this stuff and you have a lot of the scientific knowledge behind it as well. So I guess if both of you could, could you quickly just kind of lay out a biblical view of a conceived life, meaning when does life begin and how can we know that and, and why should we believe that and, and move forward um, from there? Sure, we can try to do that uh, fairly succinctly, but certainly there's a there's a lot to it. So uh, kind of briefly, we believe because we're Christians that every life has value. We see that uh, worked itself out in, in the gospel through Jesus Christ, the manifestation, the, the incarnation of God. God's own son and God himself, who loves every human being, regardless of circumstance, regardless of level of development, regardless of race or ethnicity or wealth, uh, that Mm. we see that reality. And we even see children in the womb uh, treated with great respect, love and honor in the Gospels. Mm. But it's not just a New Testament uh, theology. It's Old Testament theology. We believe that all the way from Genesis, when it talks about the image of God being in every human being and any destroyed human being is destroying God in effigy or uh, Mm. destroying the image Mm. of God is like uh, attacking God himself. We see a robust love of God for every human being from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. So in our culture, there's an argument about when exactly can you call something a human and when would something be a human being? And while our culture has defined that for some reason as a a geographic, like a a baby is a human only after it has exited uh, the mother's body. Uh, we do believe uh, scientifically and theologically that once that baby is no longer mother and no longer father, but a unique human being, that that is a unique human being worthy of of all the protections of any life. And that includes uh, the same value we would put on the life of the mother, 
and the same value we would put on the life of somebody who's elderly or uh, disabled or passing away or uh, you name your circumstance. We believe that every life has value. And what's unique about the unborn, maybe not entirely unique, but uh, certainly unique for the entire people group of those who are unborn is they have no voice of their own to speak mm. for themselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas other, every other human um, human rights violation in history has had some form of self-vocalization to say, hey, re- remember that we are humans, or they've had some mm. form of visual, at least, representation to say, hey, look at these people. The unborn are kind of an unseen, unheard from group, and that's why we get passionate about advocating for them. And you're right, Chelsea's job leads into um, daily interactions at her hospital with, uh, with these same issues, whether it's... Um, uh, things you can see in the womb uh, chromosomally or whether it's uh, scans you can see chromosomally may not be a word, but that's okay. I'll look it up later. <laughs> we'll take it <laughs> yeah, these things all the time regarding life and the value of life in the womb. Yeah. From a scientific standpoint, you know, at the moment of conception, we have a unique DNA where we can no longer um, say that this is a cell in the mom's body or a cell from the father's body, but we have a unique DNA. Mm. Um, and so we would say life begins at conception um, and that life should be protected. But yeah. at that point, um, it's kind of where we see those, you know, my body, my choice type arguments. And of course, mm. we actually have lots of laws about what we can and can't do with our body if our body is going to harm another person. But regardless, it's really not anyone's body except the child, the unborn child. Um, It's their own body. Um, They have their own blood. They can have a separate blood type from their mom. They can have um, separate gender from their mom. Separate gender, eye color, all of those things. They are a unique individual. Um, Mm. And we believe that, you know, all of this, this issue comes back to the image of God over and over. And the fact that um, there is nowhere else to find human dignity or to find human worth than the inherent worth given to us by our creator. Yeah. Mm. And so 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 many arguments made about, you know, even those kind of pseudo compassionate arguments about abortion that basically, you know, maybe some children are better off dead because of the circumstances they're being born into. Um, And so that's kind of a, a, really a twisted view, um, almost like committing suicide on behalf of someone else to say your life's not worth living because you don't have as much money as I think you ought to. Um, Mm. I think that raises an idolatry issue of just how much, you know, we love money or comfort to say that someone else's life isn't worth living because they're not going to be as comfortable as we think they ought to, uh, ought to be. But, um, we we look at different humans with different and give them different values based on on arbitrary things in our culture but mm-hmm. um a kingdom culture or um you know in god's view all humans have equal worth and inherent worth because they're made in his image not because they have two parents or a um good financial status or you know they have mm-hmm. no disabilities those types of things don't give us our worth god does yeah that's so good. I think we can just end it there. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. That's, it's been a great episode. It's so, so good. No, I, and what you're saying is, I mean, gosh, it resonates so much because you're totally right. And, and Selena was like, yesing and amening on this side. He's when muting her, me over here. <laughs> just fine. <It's> good. <laughs> when you were saying that we've taken, like, we've created these arbitrary lines right. that we draw between you know, these, these little people that are inside a womb versus people that are outside and, and they're totally unjust. And I do mm-hmm. think, and that's the, that's, I feel like the tide is shifting. I saw an article by Karen Swallow Pryor. She wrote Fierce Convictions. You read that book, right? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, no, I haven't read it. Oh. It's on the shelf. Well, she's she's <laughs> in the, she's a thinker and a, an yes. English professor and um, a theologian of sorts. And she wrote an article on Vox.com. Did you guys see that that article recently? No, tell us about it. Oh man, it's so good. <laughs> she basically, I mean, she was it was an editorial on this completely secular site and it's total gospel perspective on the issues of abortion and the issues surrounding abortion. And basically, she said that the writing's on the wall. Like this is ending in 50 years time. This will be seen as barbaric Mm -hmm. and it'll be another scar kind of on the, on the face of America, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And something we're ashamed of. And I hope and fully agree that that's the case. And I think with our listenership, and I kind of want to turn it back over to you guys. I think most people listening to this will essentially agree with everything you've laid out. And so I think where the real gray area is, and it starts with, Chelsea, what you were saying about how, you know, it starts at the moment of conception. You have totally different DNA. You can have, you know, different features, different blood type, different gender. Um, that's, That's an amazing truth. And I think sometimes in the Christian church, we've kind of glossed over this idea of contraception. And family, you know, mm-hmm. the gift of children. And well, I think we were even guilty of that in our marriage in the first beginning of years. You know, we did birth control, like the hormonal one, and we, we were just told, oh, it just tricks your body into thinking you're pregnant, and that's it. And but we didn't think through the details. We didn't of that. think through the details. We didn't ask questions. And that's completely on us, of course. Um, well, let's, let's but, share. I mean, just for the, the sake of the, I guess our story is for a couple of years, that was the case. Yeah. And then at some point we were just like, well, I was just out of whack with my hormones and I was like, this can't be right. Like this is, this just feels so wrong. And, and then we start, we decided to come off of it. Um, we started but, reading and started coming up those conclusions. Right. Basically we started getting educated be, about it. Yeah. And, um, I think that's kind of where I think that's where people fall in our listenership, like you were saying. Um, you know, that we're all pro-life, but have we been using right. something that has been taking life that yeah. we didn't know about? Yeah. So I guess we'll we're layering in the questions. We'll let you talk here now. So, uh, <laughs> Chelsea, can you talk to us a little bit just about kind of the science of contraception and, and how, in lay terms, I should say, mm-hmm. how can we understand it and how can we make decisions and, and perhaps direct us in, in, in that a little bit? Sure. I think... It's so important, especially if if someone's going to be taking a pill every single day for an extended amount of time, they might want to know what it does and how it works. And, you know, our story is similar to yours. A couple months into it, I got on birth control because um, I wanted to just regulate things before our wedding. And um, and then a couple months into our marriage, Adam came home and I'm sitting on the couch crying, uh, reading Mm -hmm. about birth control. and said, I got to throw this away and I can't take it again. And uh, of course we got pregnant two weeks later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> happened. Which we were pumped about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which was uh, honestly, uh, really, really, it was a sweet surprise. Yeah. Um, mm. But um, I think one thing that people should understand is that by God's grace, we're always growing in what we understand scientifically. And so for a long time, conception and fertilization were being used interchangeably. Mm. So if a woman asked her doc- her OB-GYN, you know, can my birth control, can my hormonal birth control end a pregnancy? They might say in good, in good conscience, they might say no, because they maybe don't consider um, fertilized egg. A fertilized egg um, that has not implanted. Sorry, I meant implantation and yeah. conception. Sure. Um, if it hasn't implanted yet in the uterus, then they would say it's it's not a real pregnancy. And although I can understand their perspective, but do we have a unique human being? Yes. Um, mm. So 
just for our listeners, I'll talk about how most hormonal birth controls work, and they work in in three ways. And so the first mechanism is to stop ovulation. If there's no ovulation, then there's going to be no fertilization. And then after that, um, to thicken cervical mucus so that there would be a lower chance of fertilization if there was ovulation. So to make it harder for the sperm to reach an egg, once again, preventing fertilization. But the third- So to be, oh, just to be ahead. clear- Ovulation, that's where there's an actual egg present descending down. Egg coming down the pike. (laughs) Okay. Okay. There you go. Okay. So the first way is no egg at all. No eggs coming. Second kind of backup mechanism is if an egg were to be released, um, it would make hormonal changes that would um, thicken the cervical mucus in a woman so that sperm would have a harder time reaching an egg. So again, preventing fertilization of the egg. But the third mechanism is that if somehow a sperm did reach it, so an egg is dropped and a sperm does reach it and fertilization occurs. So now you have this unique DNA, um, make changes to the uterine lining that would make a hostile breeding ground in the uterus so that Mm. this fertilized egg would not be able to implant and there the and you know at that point the baby dies. Yeah, and you're not talking about three different kinds of birth control. You're talking about three different functions of the birth control yes. that you would take. Right? It's exactly. not you can choose between these. It's like these are the ways. What we typically do is hormonal birth control. This is the way it operates. Right. So month in month out, if a woman's taking this, she does not know necessarily unless she's using ovulation trips or something. And why would anyone do that on birth control? Um, but there's no way for the woman to know. Um, if she has conscientious objections to abortion or um, sees um, people as being made in the image of God, if she has Christian convictions regarding human life and the sanctity of human life, um, then month in, month out, she has no way to know which mechanism prevented her from being pregnant. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. Yes. Wow. Okay. So just to recap, we're talking about the hormonal um, forms of birth control right now. And typically each... And there's different versions. Do all the hormonal forms of birth control work exactly the same way? Basically like that. There's there's some variations. You know, uh, the IUDs, some have different mechanisms. And some some of the IUDs actually have unknown mechanisms. Um, where they say we don't, we don't really understand exactly how this works. But when a woman has it, she doesn't get pregnant. Yeah, I think that's been the one that's been the point of contention, at least among my community and circle of friends and, you know, full on believers and and all of that. They just they're under the assumption, I guess, that that fertilization cannot happen and implantation. So therefore, obviously, implantation specifically with IUDs, specifically with IUDs. Yeah. So I I was not aware that IUDs were considered a hormonal method. Uh, I thought they were more kind of brute force in that they weren't. So can you, I mean, for those aren't, who aren't familiar, what is an IUD and what exactly, how does it work exactly? It's a, it's a little object that is implanted and, and I'm less studied on IUDs um, mm. because after, you know, in our story, and that was way before I was a nurse, I was just a wife thinking about, you know, family planning. And I got off of that and had no real interest in looking back into it. So I'm a little less studied on that and I don't have to mm. deal with it in labor and delivery because everyone I see is already pregnant. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but I think a lot of them still use those hormonal mechanisms, but um, those are things, to, you know, for each individual husband and wife, not just the wife um, mm. this is on, on all of us as believers to research those methods, those methods, and then make sure that they're really getting clarity if they're discussing these things with a, with their physician. Um, because I don't, I work with lots of wonderful OBGYNs that, um, 
you know, they're definitely, they're not trying to hide anything from their patients or anything like that. Just sometimes the definitions that people are using are not the same. So like Mm. I said, sometimes people say fertilization and maybe mean implantation. Um, Mm. Or if Hmm. some don't consider a pregnancy to be real or legitimate until it's implanted in the uterus, even though we we have a unique creation um, in a fertilized egg. Um, So those are just some things that need to really be talked through. But um, Mm -hmm. if our conviction is that all humans are made in the image of God, then I think as believers, this is just one more area that we need to be ready to be Hmm. different in the culture. And um, we worry about convenience, but... Children are a blessing according to the word. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's so good and so true. And so Adam, just from a pastoral care standpoint, how can we, I mean, if I'm picturing the husband and the wife listening to this thinking, oh no, like we sure. we hadn't even thought about this. What do we do? What what would you say to that couple or that husband or that wife listening to this? Well, I'm sure part of the part of the kind of panic or scariness or anything that sets in and having these conversations or having not thought about them is about the ramifications, but also the ethical questions that then uh, are raised about a culture that uh, does not medically or scientifically treat a fertilized egg as an individual worthy of protection. And so we have tons of examples where um, there are medical procedures now which will discard or throw away fertilized embryos or uh, create as many as they want and do, mm. you know, gender selection or, or um, genetic mm. selection for whatever reason. And, yeah. and right now, ethically, that's perfectly reasonable in our culture to do, even though we would say as Christians, we should be asking a lot more questions about these things. So mm-hmm. part of the part of the ramifications of this, which are, are, are pretty huge, are stuff that we do think every individual needs to work through. But I do think churches have been, uh, maybe not surprisingly, but certainly very quiet on because there are so many, it's so easy to hear accusation in this moment to hear, oh, you did mm-hmm. something without knowing it that was terrible. And like many things like this, it leads us to immediately run to shame or to guilt or to uh, panic or to fear instead of running to grace, instead of running to knowledge, instead of running to truth, and instead of running to the freedom that we have in Christ. So right now we're talking about uh, birth control methods, which are uh, honestly our culture doesn't normally consider as part of abortion, but abortifacient drugs are exactly that too, where it's done intentionally, even morning after pills, things like that, that we haven't even discussed yet, where our culture sells over the counter or by prescription Mm -hmm. Uh, methods by which somebody can intentionally uh, make sure that a first fertilized egg does not implant or an implanted fertilized egg does not reach maturity. Those are certainly common and most likely will be increasingly so as uh, the potential of surgical abortions becomes less and less uh, maybe legalized or, or maybe um, as common as it is now, we'll still see uh, prescribed drugs for um, for abortion be a very real issue. But when it comes pastorally, to advising people on these things. I do think I have to remember my role is not as their doctor. My role is not as their scientist. I do want to help them know the facts, but my role is to tell them who Christ is to them, which means the choices you make regarding your life and other people's lives do matter to Christ. So these are important things to work through together. And at the same time, these are not things that you need to walk in fear of, of going, well, if we did this in the past unknowingly, does this mean God is and will judge us. Are we dealing with a karma God that looks at us and says, because you did this, now you will face these ramifications. No, we don't. We do believe there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences for sin. But we are all dealing with a God who is loving and gracious and fully loves even unborn children way more than we will ever love them, know them better than we will mm-hmm. know them. 
and, and defends them better than we could defend them. And so it's a reminder, too, that this culture of death that we live in right now, the fixing of it is not on us. We don't carry the burden to uh, to completely overthrow this, but God uses people like us to be part of what he does to overthrow a culture of death. And so we do want to be truth speakers and we want to be truth seekers in the midst of a culture that's full of this. And we want to be incredibly gracious. And that includes whether it's somebody who had a late te- late term abortion, who's coming to talk to us about it, or somebody that committed infanticide after birth, or it's somebody who used an abortive fashion drug and never knew anything different in their body than that there was a fertilized egg or there wasn't. The, the truth is that grace applies the same to all of us, which is that none of us deserve it. None of us have done anything to earn it. We don't compare ourselves to other people who haven't done what we've done and think, well, God must love them more. And in the midst of it, it can always seem oppressively true that we are uh, broken beyond repair. And that is just not the truth of the gospel. That's right. And that's a breath of fresh air because I know, um, I mean, we've had friends and we've had people that that are right there and they just mm-hmm. feel like they've somehow um, lost God's love. Or they've, they've fallen, you know, they're, they're outside the realm of grace, right, mm-hmm. because of their shame. Yeah. And um I think I love that just the scope of a pastor is to remind you who Jesus is, right? In light of the facts, in light of all that, yes, mm-hmm. there's all that stuff, but here's who Jesus is. And he is, mm-hmm. you can't out sin his love, right? right? You can never be outside of his His grace. So I have a, a curveball I want to throw at you. And I, I just throw like, it at them. They're like the power couple. <laughs> know, I'm telling yeah. you. Well, I feel like you can <laughs> they, confidently answer this. They can this. totally do. Yep. So, I mean, we've got, we've had friends we've had close friends that have struggled with, with, um, fertility. Right. And so they've, they've fought and they've spent years praying and, and trying and to no avail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's this thing called in vitro fertilization, right. Yeah. Which <laughs> Selena just said, Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, the way that works as I understand this it is, is not scripted. It's but not scripted. I have no. confidence in both of you. Is that they'll go. So we, okay. I mean, we, there's a couple that we know that they, they, had they struggled for uh, fertility they did the in vitro route and got pregnant pretty quick and they have to date they have i think three fertilized eggs on on the rocks so to speak yeah and and kind of ready for implantation um as believers this is not something i've ever heard anyone talk about but is that okay is that are, are they then ethically and you know morally obligated to carry all of those eggs to to conception or to birth um, yeah. to the best of their ability. Obviously they can't guarantee that they're going to have, you know, an implant implanted egg, but is that, is that the case? I mean, can you speak to that a little bit? This is one of the exact ethical questions I was just talking about. If the ramifications are what we believe theologically is that a fertilized egg is a person, then what we are practicing right now in in vitro fertilization should raise some questions for Christians of how many, how many should we implant? How many should we make? If this is the method that we choose, should we in any way say we're going to create more uh, fertilized eggs than we are planning on implanting just in case? And I know part of the reason there is because of the great expense of it. We, people are saying, well, I don't want to do this twice and then find out, you know, that um, the first time around it didn't work. And we've had friends all across the spectrum. We've had friends that have adopted fertilized um, fertilized embryos from uh, people they did not know because they were on rocks and the people were not going to use them. And that wow. is the thing. Uh, that's uh, snowflake that, adoption. yeah, snowflake adoption. It's called. And wow. we've had friends there. We've had friends that have um, put in more embryos than you might hope for 
uh, like three or four embryos, hoping that one or two would take, but understanding they were going to have quadruplets if they got pregnant because uh, abortion uh, reducing, what do they call that? Were you, the, Are you talking about reducing when you have multiples? Yeah, when you have multiples. A, a fetal reduction is what is often recommended by fertility specialists when they implant several embryos, thinking surely only one or two will make it, but then maybe four of them do. Mm-hmm. And then they will begin to um, really strongly encourage the parents to intentionally abort one or two of them to give the other oh, wow. one a better chance at living so that it's not such a high-risk pregnancy. Right. Yeah. So you can see already how our American culture of like, but this isn't the way we think about this. This is a way of of getting something God says is good, is getting blessing, is getting children. And, and navigating this world already comes very head-to-head with our theology of, but if we do believe that life begins at conception, then this makes all these things very, very complicated. Now, whether or not somebody's morally obligated to implant each embryo they have and say, if they don't do it, then they've done something wrong. I do think the questions are easier to ask on the very front end of that whole situation to say, if we do believe this about our own eggs and sperm and their fertilization, then how will that help us navigate an in vitro world? I don't believe that in vitro, the procedure is inherently evil. But I do believe you have to take into consideration uh, the value of each one of those lives. And I do think if you're looking at three of your children that are now on ice somewhere, that should raise some questions about how are we going to handle these living beings that we believe are out there. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, what do you mm-hmm. think? I know we've walked through this with a lot of friends and it's very complicated and never easy. Right. Um, IVF brings up so many complex moral dilemmas. Um I could talk about them for a long, long time because I've seen some stuff go really, really bad in labor and delivery for couples who have just absolutely refused to believe that they they weren't able to have children like other people are. And so they've pressed it and pressed it. And then we've seen some really, really heartbreaking outcomes. And then some of those complex moral dilemmas, uh, like Adam said, I think on the front end, if, if believers are looking down um, the barrel of doing IVF, I think it's important to, to talk with doctors and specialists who support their convictions. You know, we had a, a couple who walked closely with us who went to meet with a fertility doctor and, you know, they said, we, we, we don't want to make, you know, 10 embryos and, or, you know, and have these uh, little embryos frozen or adopt them out to other people. We, you know, they said, we want to, we want to make one. And, and the specialist just said, no, I'm not doing that, you know, and they, it was hard for them to find support for the convictions that they have over it. And then, you know, the gender selection, the uh, genetic testing is, is another interesting thing because the fertility specialists are going to look at these embryos and say, hey, this is the best one. This is the best right. embryo. And we have mm-hmm. to think really careful. Mm-hmm. That sounds like, like a no brainer for someone to look at these things. And of course, well, yeah, of course you want to choose the best one. We don't look at all three of our, our current children and say, this one's the best one. We're mm-hmm. going to keep him. Right. Um, mm. uh, I do call tryouts for sports to see who can afford <laughs> uh, <select> football. <laughs> but I mean, these are just the facts. Uh, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, for, again, for believers, this should raise really serious questions. Mm. Um, mm. If you test your embryos, and I, I've seen couples who refuse testing because of their convictions, and then have some difficult outcomes. And the grace of God is sufficient for all these things. But um, there's some really big questions that need to be asked on the front end. As believers, we need to say, just because our culture doesn't bat an eye at this, Hmm. does it mean that it's okay with God? Does it mean that it's pleasing to him, that it brings him glory? Yeah. 
Um, well, I think you should say, too, as much as we're talking about believers, these ethical questions should be things that our country is asking at a much higher rate than they currently are as well. And Chelsea can testify to a situation she's come, she's seen through come, through labor and delivery where gender selection is a very real thing late in the pregnancy for people where our culture would say, no, your value is not based on your gender. Our, our culture is absolutely opposed mm. to that. But we would still mm-hmm. see it in vitro. It's a very real issue where mm-hmm. people would say, well, it turns out uh, we wanted a boy. It's a girl. We're going to terminate this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And that is a it's not a other country issue. It's not an other time issue. This is a this is a now and today issue that our country wants to ignore things inside the womb because it's just more convenient and more comfortable for us to just let people make these decisions, which honestly Roe v. Wade is founded on that idea of it's not that they discovered a right to abortion. It's that they kind of logged it under a right to privacy and said, if we just aren't going to we're just not going to know what happens between a doctor and his patient when it comes to this. And then uh, the Supreme Court refused to acknowledge that maybe the person inside the womb should also be considered a patient of the doctor. All right. And my hospital Um, are doing fetal surgeries. Um, mm-hmm. we, uh, try to correct, um, you know, neural tube defects, um, and some other, um, like spinal bifida. Yeah. Like spinal mm-hmm. bifida, really a lot of, a lot of different things, correcting twin to twin transfusion, things like that. And so it's very interesting to see that in, in my neighborhood, you can be 20 weeks pregnant and have a surgery performed on your baby in utero. And you can also legally go to a clinic and, and abort your pregnancy and have your baby uh, removed from the uterus forcefully um, and painfully. Um, and mm. those, mm. those can be done. Um, so yeah. In some ways it feels like we're making great strides. And in some ways we still have some really um, just really mm. sad things going on. Yeah. Well, it's an uphill battle too. I feel like for those, you know, people that are um, say, you know, you go and have a blood test done you find out that you've got a, you know, there's, or there's something wrong with the pregnancy. Uh, we had a friend who uh, their child was born or had amniotic band in utero and ended up being stillborn, basically lived for about 15 minutes, but all the way up until that birth of, the doctor, their, first child. of their first child, the doctor was saying, you need to abort this child. You need to yeah. like, it's not going to survive. You need to abort it. And they just kept saying, we don't agree with you. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not yeah. that's not our decision, and um, so there's a lot of pressure. It's social yeah. pressure. There's also like pressure in terms of you know it's scary, yeah. but there's also pressure from the medical professionals who are the, supposed to be the ones that are uh, I guess advocating for you. But when it comes to a uh, system of belief, they think they are advocating, but really they're advocating against um, what we value most. Right. Right. The questions go deep here. There's right. a couple What's really that? thick versions yeah. of that today too, where in Iceland. They are now bragging that they've almost, what they would say, eliminated uh, Down syndrome from their culture, uh, which is not a cure to Down syndrome. They're just at an almost 100% rate of aborting anybody who's diagnosed Mm. with Down syndrome in the womb. And America is at a 90-something percent rate of anybody who's diagnosed with Down syndrome. We've also seen people with trisomy 18 babies who've been told this baby won't live, you need to abort it. We've also seen trisomy babies uh, grow to be how old? Two, three, four years old? Yeah, Rick Santorum's daughter. Rick Santorum's daughter is old. Um, I'm not sure now, but just longer than anyone expected. But mm. um, predict the outcomes. Well, and I think everybody mm. knows somebody who knows somebody at least too, who's received mm-hmm. one of the kind of fatal prenatal diagnoses and then given birth to a healthy child. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. The healthy child is not is not worth more because again, we don't get our value from how long our life is predicted to be. Right. So with the trichotillomania baby, even if it lives a week. Like, it, I mean, say the doctor says, you know, I told you so. See, it only lived a week. 
Um, to me, a short life is is not a life that lacks value. Um, mm-hmm. You know, none of us knows the number of our days. Um, right. We don't get our value from how long our life will be exactly, or how uh, how long someone else expects it to be. Um, a short life and a long life are are valuable to God and should be valuable to us. Um, but yeah. As, as advanced as some of these um, prenatal tests are, um, you know, I, I believe in miracles. So it's not that I always think that the tests are wrong. Um, yeah. You know, I have friends who were told that a part of their baby's brain was missing and, and they could see it on the sono. It's they can see it, that it's not there, you know, and then one day it is there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what are you supposed to do with that? Uh, right. uh, <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this whole conversation about just when we got into the in vitro fertilization and talking about selecting a child, basically, um, kind of goes into, I mean, yes, I think this is my own personal um, idea and I don't, I need to do more (laughs) digging on it, of course, but when God blesses us, it's not like here's $10 million, like do what you want, right? It's like, here's something to work with and work at and work mm-hmm. for and like children are blessing and they are the hardest things to navigate right. <laughs> their yeah. little sanctification blessings aren't always you know? just easy right yeah. there's right. not ease and comfort in it right and that and we tend to assume that i think even as believers we think oh god's you know it's a blessing but it's you know it's it's, it's not ease and comfort it's there's a, a lot of sanctification and refinement mm-hmm. happening and so that kind of leads us i think to another question that i know we've personally been wrestling around with is just this idea of controlling the number of children we should have as a couple you know god's word does talk about that genius children are a blessing and god opens and closes the womb as i've heard many friends tell me um which by the way we are pregnant again oh you're gonna announce that well, this episode- <laughs> seems appropriate <laughs> Congrats. Uh, but this episode's going to be the first to know. So <laughs> this episode will drop in probably months from now. So you'll be like, the, the baby will be born. You'll be saying no. that. <laughs> Not that far in advance. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so we've been obviously wrestling with this question. You know, do we as people have, have a Should role? Should we control? Yeah. Should we control in, in, having in that kids? decision? Yeah. And we've heard you know, all different things like fear obviously shouldn't run the show, but then there's, uh, you know, just the health and capacity of a woman to be able to bear that many children or, you know, where does wisdom come in and where, where does control, where's that line at kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, And if so, is, is there any kind of legitimate, um, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Like what the contraception piece, is there a way to, to stop it if we can and should. (laughs) When Chelsea and I were first having this conversation we thought it best to take it to a a biblical counselor to help us navigate that question. And I know typically I think people, when they they hear about you're going to marriage counseling or you're going to counseling, they're probably thinking about dealing with your daddy issues or your childhood issues. We really wanted to navigate some of those questions that you're asking right now and just say, what is biblical? Because we see God open and closing the womb in the the Bible. We see uh, children as a blessing. Uh, but we also see navigating our future and the kind of parenting we want to do for our kids and see, should, are we going to be able to parent the way we feel the Lord has called us to? Are we going to be able to fulfill what the Lord has called us to and do these things? And I, honestly, our counselor asked us the best question that cut through all of the selfishness that can be tied into that. And uh, the counselor basically said, um, as we asked him, is it okay to decide how many kids we will have ourselves? And he said, uh, maybe. 
And then he said, uh, you need to ask yourself why. He said, if you can answer the why question, then I can help you decide whether or not this is godly or not. And he even shared some of his own story of how he and his wife faced some medical issues if they if they had any more kids. And so they had to make some decisions about uh, the value of his wife's future health and adding more kids to their family. And so he asked Chelsea and I some good, just probing questions about why would we want to be done after two? Why do we want to be done after three? Why would we not want to have more kids? Or why would we want to keep having kids into perpetuity and try to explore in that? Are there selfish and sinful reasons motivating why would we would want control over designing our own family the way we want it? Or whether we would want to leave. Um, one of the things we were also contemplating is how much uh, how much can we handle? What's our capacity as parents? And both of us are working parents. And what's our capacity as parents as as it pertains to our future, wanting to be uh, a family that's available to adopt a baby from a woman who might be in a crisis pregnancy and saying, if that's something we believe that we want to continue to offer, if the Lord has that for us. Then what does that mean for the decision about our own biological children as well? And those are all, again, you guys are asking us some of the toughest questions we've been to handle personally and some of the toughest questions to walk somebody through. Chelsea, am I missing aspects of our story there? Um, no, I thought I thought our counselor was really helpful. Um, and he asked us, one of the first questions he asked us too is he said, what, what scripture, what scriptures is guiding your thinking right now when it comes to mm. family planning? And um, Adam cited something in the Proverbs about how you calculate the, <laughs> the cost before you go to war. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Again, I think there is so much about this conversation is kind of thinking about the difference between following the following Christ and following the culture. Um, and just the, the idols we have in our hearts that we are just unaware of where we feel like, um, we have to provide certain things for our kids in order to have a good life. Right. And that good life is, is we've defined it, not what God's defined. Um, mm-hmm. And then so we say, well, if that's the case, then I can only afford two children or I can only afford three children because I want to be able to make sure everyone has, you know, college and everyone has private school and everyone has uh, all the sports we want to do and all of that stuff. And um, that, that, you know, God may have those things for, for our children or someone's children. But um, I think we need to just really examine our hearts about how, how much we love those things and why we love them or why we find security in them. I, but I really do believe that we have freedom in Christ. When we think about what our God is like, he is not this, he's not out to get us, you know, mm. um, he's not out to get us. And, and he definitely, he never ever in scripture punishes someone with a baby. Um, these, these are things to think about The children are a blessing. And at the same time, we don't have a, a God who, he doesn't look at us like he's a, an angry slave driver and says, you must do this and you must endure right. it because I, because I'm against you. Mm. Yeah. I, but I believe there's freedom, but I believe, uh, we need to, again, quit looking around at the culture and the idols in our heart, but really run to, to the Holy spirit and say, help us decide. Well, that's I think so good. We have, we've yeah. had a lot of talk too about the control that comes on the other side, the expectation that if you've had a vasectomy or if you've, you're using contraceptives as if the God, uh, God will, um, I don't know that he's unable now to accomplish, uh, another child in your family because you've made sure he can't. And there, there are such control <laughs> that we have about our future that 
that reveal in our hearts our own desire for comfort and control uh, that are the motivations are what we want to explore as we want to uncover in our own heart how we are not walking like Christ or I think the way Chelsea put it so good whether we're following the culture or we're following Christ yeah it's a good answer but it's not a feel good answer because I feel like what you're saying is that there's not just this hard and fast yes do this yes don't do this this is always right this is always wrong what you're saying is check where your heart's at keep your idols in check in other words it, we're you're bucking this um in society, we have this commoditization of parenthood, right? This commoditization of children. They should be adding something to my life. If they don't, they're not what I want. If they <laughs> if they take away from my life, then they're not for me. That sort of right. thing. And that's a heart issue. That's a control issue. And that's a that's an issue. That's an enemy outpost, right? In our hearts, oh. the gospel has yet to infiltrate. <laughs> And those hard questions, I mean, we're going through it right now with our third baby on the way. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, all the logistics, right? And it's, what, what's it doing? That uh, that bell has been rung. I can't unring that bell. Yeah. <laughs> so as the husband, I'm thinking, okay, God, it's pointing me to Jesus. And God, mm -hmm. you're going you're gonna to make this work. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to see how you show up in this. And I can't wait to see how you blow my mind in this because I don't know how it's going to work because I don't get enough sleep as it is <laughs> and, you know, all the logistics of it. So yeah. I just love that you're, you're speaking to the heart of it, not just the kind of the legalism of it, but really letting the love of Christ really reign in that area, I think is key. Yeah. And so I think just like two more questions here, because I know that you guys were all kind of on a time limit here, but I, I think one thing that would really maybe give our, our listeners a jump off point of what would you guys say are some appropriate forms of birth control? as a believer. Assuming you have convictions that would yes. allow you to, to take that step. Yes. Well, my favorite form of birth control is pregnancy. Because when I'm pregnant, I don't have to worry about <laughs> pregnant because I'm already pregnant. Um, exactly. Really right there. <laughs> and then you can have lots of unprotected sex and without a, without a care in the world. Um, anyhow, I don't know if that's good. That's too much for your show. That's great. That's right up our, that's right in our upper alley. Yeah. That's great. Well, you know, what we talked about before is the potential to make a fertilized egg. Um, if we're doing something that has the potential to destroy something that was made in the image of God, then I think it needs to be off the table for believers. Uh, just to be clear, condoms don't do that. Yeah. Vasectomies don't do that. Vasectomies are very um, in a very effective form of sterilization. However, some men will spontaneously heal from them and the strongest of men. The strongest of men. Surprise their wife one day. It doesn't mean you're weak if it hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just to be clear. Yeah. And yeah. tubal ligation is also uh, very effective. That's getting your tubes tied um, for a woman. And uh, that has a very effective rate. And then we have several friends that practice natural family planning. Yeah, natural family planning is mm -hmm. awesome. That also creates a lot of surprises for people. It's like Christian Russian roulette, isn't it? It is <laughs> a lot of that. Yeah, it's like if we feel like we're not allowed to gamble because we're Baptists, you can just do natural family planning instead. <laughs> you can scratch that itch, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, some people are, are really, really good at it, like really well studied at it. I don't think I really have the discipline for that, which is why we had three kids in three years. Um, yeah. but, uh, nice. you know, it's, it's for somebody. We should also um, suggest though, that we don't promote long-term abstinence because the Bible doesn't promote long-term abstinence inside of marriage. And I know there are couples out there oh, who yeah. out of fear of pregnancy will say, yeah, we're just not going to be sleeping together for the season. And we think the Bible has been really clear on why or when that should happen. And not that anybody should feel forced into sexual intimacy either with their, with their marriage, but the same way, the same thing is true on the other end of the spectrum. 
Sure. So good. So um, glad you guys you said that and outlined those. Yeah, let's clear whatever, clarity. Whatever people choose, I think it's important to be open to life and to recognize that we we don't find security or control from these things. Um, yeah. Even though you know natural family planning is natural, it still doesn't mean that that we have control over our lives. God mm-hmm. does, and I think it's important for for believers in marriage to be open to life at any time. Um, even if we've gotten a vasectomy or a, or a hysterectomy or something where we just think it's not possible, we have to be, be mindful that, um, God has called us to care for the fatherless, um, mm. for the orphans. And, um, and so Adam and I have talked about it in our marriage where if either of us alone encounters someone in a crisis pregnancy or a child who needs a home, you know, I would be quick to offer that to the woman before I would even call Adam. I, it's okay with him if I come home with a baby. It might be surprising, but um, <laughs> we've, we've talked about enough to where we go. If it's a possibility to care for an orphan. Um, mm. As opposed to seeing them discarded. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And right. so we have offered that to many, many people who were considering abortion. And so far, no one has taken us up on it, but, um, but we remain mm-hmm. open. Our home remains open. I love that perspective. Just being open to life all the time. That's just such a testimony of where your guys' hearts are at and what God's been doing inside of you. I don't know. I just want to share this little story from the playground. Okay. So there's this little boy. So we live in in a town south of Seattle and I take the girls to the playgrounds. We take them. And over the past about year and a half, we I've, I've run into this little boy. His name is Jacob Mm -hmm. and he's, he's six years old. He's massive. He's probably like, he looks like a seven or eight year old. He yeah. looks like a seven or eight. And he, he's so funny. And so like, we just hit it off and we played tag. It's like an hour, me and him and yeah. our two daughters. Cause I just keep meeting him at these random parks around <laughs> town. And like, I've gotten to know him because we just see him all the time. Yeah, and I got talking to him this last time and he's, he goes, yeah, I'm a foster kid. I, go, I, I asked him, I said, where are your parents? He said, well, I have a, I'm a foster kid. My aunt, she's trying to adopt me. So where's your aunt? And he goes, well, she's sitting in her car over there and she's off in the distance sitting in the car. And just talking to this kid, I started thinking like, man, what for something about this kid is just so like magnetic. Mm-hmm. Like what if we just brought him home? Like what if that opportunity presented itself? <laughs> oh, that's itself? kidnapping, taking him from the park. <laughs> you can't really do that. That's illegal. <laughs> um, but I think both of our hearts were definitely, there was just space and we were like imagining what that would, what that would be like. I mean, yeah. Obviously, it's you know there's this ideal and this fantasy, but as we all know, kids are kids are so challenging, right? No matter mm, how great yeah. they are when you meet them, there's always some challenges because we all have sin in our hearts. But mm. um, yeah, didn't mean to interrupt your story. Well, but yeah, so just to say, like, I feel like everything we're talking about is you know as much as politically charged as, as it is. I think I've heard you guys say this, Adam, is it's not a political issue, right? It's yeah. a it's a gospel issue. It's a it's a belief issue. It's a sanctity of human life. It's an Imago Day issue, right? The mm-hmm. being made in the image of God. And I think once we kind of, as believers, rally around that truth, mm-hmm. that that this is when conception happens, therefore they are made in the image of God, these little, you know, even if it's just one cell, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Or two cells or, you know, however, whatever size, we can rally around that. And I think um, that's how I kind of want to end the conversation is, is Adam, you're, you're a pastor and you guys have spent a lot of time talking about this issue. 
what I guess where would you point us as listeners, as believers? How can we rally around this cause and and see the the abolition of abortion in our life? Do you think that's possible yeah. in our lifetime to see that? And how can we go about being a part of that? That's a great question. So I would say a couple things. One, uh, one of the critiques of the pro life movement is that we don't care about women who are in crisis pregnancies, and we don't mm-hmm. care about foster children or orphans. And I want to say any place where that is true, we need to overcome. I know a lot of people who are pro-life and are involved in adoption and foster care. And I know a lot of people who are, who are pro-life and are not abandoning uh, women in crisis pregnancy. I think it's quite the opposite. But any place that, that would be true about the Church of Jesus Christ, that we would abandon one group of people for the sake of another, then let's not be that. We have to have a, a Christian ethic, a, a call from Christ that says all people are loved by us because that's the call on all of us. And our first and primary love above our love of people has to be a centrality on Jesus Christ. That if we love Jesus Christ, these things naturally uh, naturally come from that. So when it comes to actually getting involved in ending abortion in America, I do think it's a hard thing to talk about. And so learning, studying, and preparing yourself to have very gentle conversations with uh, a yeah. seasoned thoroughly with grace is a really important thing for all Christians to do. Then you can be involved in things like your local pregnancy center who tries to help women in uh, crisis pregnancies and gives them all their options honestly. And you can get involved legislatively. Uh, one of the big movements you're seeing in our country the last year is that people are recognizing that Roe v. Wade uh, really opens up for states' rights, different regulations. And if Roe v. Wade is overturned, it goes right back directly to the states. And so you're seeing a lot of states preemptively say, well, this is how it's going to work in our state, whether Roe v. Wade is still in existence or not, out of fear that the Supreme Court might overturn it or in anticipation of looking forward to the Supreme Court overturning it. You're seeing states kind of rally around where their state lands. And so getting involved in local politics will affect abortion legislation. Uh, But politics is always downstream of culture. So knowing what you believe and being vocal about it and sharing the truth of what is happening inside the womb is an important aspect of being part of this. And the better ultrasound technology gets, the more our culture is going to see exactly what's happening. And the more we see it, I do believe our culture will wake up to the the barbary that we've been a part of for for, uh, decades now legally. Uh, But just because it becomes, if abortion becomes illegal tomorrow, that does not solve our issue. Our issue is not just about making it illegal. Our our issue is making it unthinkable. That people That's would right. would love children and would uh, not chase their own convenience or would not mm. see disease as something that affects uh, value. Our our hope is to see mm. people value unborn and born children alike, uh, regardless of what they look like or where they come from. Oh, okay. Amen. Mike, Mike Amen. <laughs> yeah. no, Amen. That's very 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 good and. Uh, just refreshing to hear. Thank you guys so much for sharing. We we like to we like to close out our interview episodes with asking the couples that we interview just what your what was your most favorite or most memorable date. I know it's kind of a weird shift in direction, but it kind of helps us just to get to know you guys a little bit more, and it ends on a bit of a a, a different note. So okay, what's yours, babe? You have such a better memory than I do. Yeah, <laughs> every date like it was yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, our second date was really fun for me. Um, I thought it was cool. Uh, like I said, when I first met Adam, he was uh, leaving a job that he'd been at for a while as a youth pastor at a church. And um, they had gifted him lots of gift cards. And so, you know, I barely know him. It's our second date. Uh, but he shows up and he has this deck of gift cards and shuffles them and lets me pick one blindly and says, nice. oh, whatever you pick is what we're going to go do. 
and uh, I drew from the stack a Walmart gift card. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, here we go. And so uh, going. Walmart and uh, we looked around and we just had a really fun time just being ridiculous and trying on some hats and whatnot. But then he also bought me something with his Walmart gift card, which is really nice. Yeah. Second day. Some real nice. Well, 24 hours, so we could stay there as long as we wanted. <laughs> Awesome. I was in the rock in the rocking chairs in the garden center, and I uh, had a long chat. I mean, honestly, it was a great day. So great. That's fun. great. My favorite date. We went on a date this last Sunday. Uh, so I'll just. I've had a lot of favorite dates, but this is. This will show you my memory. This is the most recent one. <laughs> <laughs> we went to a, a speakeasy, which was so cool. We went to this place. You walk into this little room, and it looks like you're in uh, someplace where you get your shoes shined. And there's an old school phone booth. But if you walk into the phone booth and you know the secret code to dial into the numbers, the wall of the shoeshine room suddenly opens up and you're in this bar restaurant with a DJ and uh, there's just people hanging out in there in bow ties. And it was so, I just, it just felt cool. cool. And I walked in and there was an empty VIP room back there with some couches and we got to hang out. It just was a fantastic nice. day. That's so hip and cool. That's, that's awesome. That's so yeah. That's, that's awesome. Out because I'm not very hip and cool. It's, so it's so <laughs> that's the one hip thing we've done. <laughs> yeah. awesome. It's Walmart to the speakeasy. That's, that's, that's the range we're dealing with here. That's the spectrum right there. <laughs> so awesome. That's so, so good. I'd be remiss Adam, if I didn't mention the Culture Matters podcast, which I know you've been doing that for a number of years, can you tell our, our listeners where they can listen to Culture Matters or where they can find you? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a it's a Village Church resource podcast. So if you go to tvcresources.net, which is the Village Church is what TVC stands for. Uh, or if you go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, you can listen to Culture Matters. It's, a, it's about the intersection of faith and culture. That's why we had Fierce Marriage on to talk about marriage not long ago. We'll talk about issues of race and abortion, poverty, disease, drugs music, culture, art, uh, anything like that. And then we'll talk about how theology and faith interact with that. It's awesome. I've listened to it and it's killer. It's very, very good. Mm-hmm. Thank you for doing that, by the way, Adam. It's an awesome podcast. There's a great episode with my wife on it about humor. I don't know if you've caught that one, but she's hilarious. And uh, Chelsea, oh, awesome. Chelsea still has not listened to that episode, but you should check it out. <laughs> That's awesome. Listen to yourself, leave a long voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. You guys, thank you so much um, just for opening up too and sharing kind of some personal uh, struggles that you guys faced. I know that's not easy sometimes, but we are so grateful about people who want to be open and transparent. You guys have just shared so much and I feel like opened up so many roads that we can start walking down and understanding and challenge, be challenged by in such a, a godly and loving way. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, guys. And we're so grateful to have you guys on here. All right. Well, thank you, yeah, guys. Until next time. Your incredible ministry. Yeah, thanks for having us. Absolutely. All right, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. Thank you so much for listening to the Fierce Marriage Podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this special episode with our guests, Adam and Chelsea Griffin. If you want to hear more from Adam, you can check out his other podcast. It's called Culture Matters. You can find that on iTunes and any other platform, whichever one you prefer. All right. Again, thank you so much for listening. We hope this episode has blessed you. See you in a few days. Stay fierce. Thank you for listening to the Fierce Marriage Podcast. For more resources for your marriage, please visit FierceMarriage.com or you can find us with our handle at Fierce Marriage on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. We hope it's blessed you. Take care.